Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. So I want to start off today by saying a very, very, very simple truth, a simple truth that we find in Scripture. And if you begin to believe it, I believe it will change your life. And whether you've been in church your entire life, whether you've been to a thousand church services, or whether this is your very first time in church, wherever you land on the spectrum, it is just as true for you. And that is this, you are called by God. You are called by God. And all that means is that God has handpicked you out of the crowd, and he has a purpose, and he has a plan for your life. And your calling is simply this, what God puts you on the earth to do. You are called by God. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Romans 11.29 says, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. That means once God says it, once God calls you, he's not going to take it back. You are not here by accident. You have a purpose. God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for you, and you can fulfill the purpose God created you for. So when I was growing up, I grew up dancing and singing and acting and all that, all of that. So my whole family is actually the same way. So we're all a family of performers. And so you can imagine when we get together, we're not playing sports. Like we're not, we're just not really interested. So the one time of year that we always have gotten together has been Thanksgiving. And we always, every single year from the time I was really little, just the kids, not the adults, just the kids, we would put together productions. I mean, Thanksgiving week was the week that we hustled to put these productions together, okay? I know like some of you like go outside and you play football and they're like, we have no idea what that's like. We perform in my family. And so from the time I was six, we, we had hair and makeup. There was a glam squad. I mean, it was my mom, it's fine, she knew how to do our hair, it was whatever. But by the time I was eight, I was writing full productions. And every single year they'd get better and better. They'd get more innovative, we thought we were brilliant. And we put together these productions, but then one year, it got to be a little bit too much. Like I said, every year they got, they got bigger and they got greater and the, and the plots got more extensive. And so this year we, we were doing um, a soap opera theme. It was going to be our best show yet. We are doing a soap opera theme. And like I said, all my, all my cousins, were, we would put the shows on. And so instead of the show being called All My Children, it was called All My Cousins. So we, we thought we were really, really... <laughs> really innovative at like six to ten. Okay, so we put on these productions, but we came to this year where we just became really overwhelmed. And so we gathered everybody into the living room, and my aunts, uncles, grandparents, everybody into the living room. We said, hey, hey, we know that the reason you come to Thanksgiving is for our shows, but I'm sorry, 
It's just not going to happen this year. We are so, we are overwhelmed. You wouldn't imagine the stress that we're under. You would not imagine how much pressure we're putting on ourselves. We just can't do it. There's too much to do. It just, like, everyone's crying. Like, my aunts, like, everyone's crying. Like, they're pleading with us. Like, please do anything. We're like, no, we just can't do it. It's too much. And so if I could feel this way when I was 10 years old about something that really didn't matter in the grand scheme of things, I wonder how much more the enemy wants you to feel this way when it comes to what God has called you to do. See, the enemy wants you to feel so overwhelmed. He wants you to think there's way too much you have to do. He wants to exhaust you, to tire you out, so eventually you just say, God, There's no way I can do all of this. It is just too much. See, the enemy wants to tire you out so you burn out and count yourself out of the path God will ask you to walk. So today I want to talk about the nasty scheme of the enemy called performance. And the title of my message is, You Are Not Called to Be the Greatest Showman. You are not called to be the greatest showman. Now, for those of us who don't live under a rock, we've probably seen this movie. But this movie follows the story of a man who has extraordinary dreams for his life. He just wants his life to be amazing. He wants to do something incredible And so he gets together a band of misfits, and he puts together a circus. And every single night, people come from all over to watch them perform. And so all I mean when I say you're not called to be the greatest showman is God hasn't called you to perform in your life. You are not called to perform. So what is performance? Some of you might be thinking, okay, well, this is... This is easy. Like, I'm just kind of going to check out because I would literally never be caught dead on a stage. I'm not a performer. Well, if you think that, it doesn't mean that you don't perform in some areas of your life. We can perform in so many aspects of our lives. So what is performance? Well, this is how I believe you can tell if you struggle with performance. If there's an area of your life where you'd rather be seen for what you do over who you are. Any area where you'd rather be seen for what you do over who you are. And I believe this happens when we begin to believe the lie that what we do is more valuable than who we are. And this can happen in so many areas of our lives. It can happen in our relationships. It can happen in our relationships with each other, in our friendships, in our marriages. It can happen in our relationship with God, and it can even happen in your calling and what God has asked you to do on the earth. So have you ever been to a concert, and you're there, and you're enjoying the music, and there's the performers on stage, and maybe you spent a lot of money on your tickets, and you're there, and you're enjoying the atmosphere. It's so great. And then all of a sudden, the performer kind of stops, and goes on a weird hiatus, and just like kind of takes a moment for them to just plug whatever personal agenda they have, and sometimes it like turns into a weird political thing, and you're like, I don't, this isn't, this isn't why we came, I just like, I want to hear the music, that's all, that's why, that's why we're here, that's why we paid all this money, well, why does that frustrate us? 
Well, here's why. It frustrates us because the job of a performer is to wow you with what they can do, not wow you with who they are. And the same thing happens to us when we perform. We mask who we are by trying to wow others with what we can do. So you might say, okay, Allie, well, you're talking a lot about doing. You're kind of talking about it in a, in a bad way, in a negative way. What do you mean? You're saying we should just do nothing? I mean, the Bible says faith without works is dead. We can't just do nothing. No, I'm not saying you're called to do nothing. I'm not saying that at all. God is going to call you to do some things. God is going to call you to maybe do some really big things, but God will never call you to perform your way through any of them. See, you were designed to do things with him, not for him. From a place of love, not for love. From a place of relationship, not for relationship. So maybe you're starting to see, okay. Okay, I can see how maybe there's a few areas in my life where I, I perform. But maybe honestly you think, so what? I mean, I'm not tired. I'm not burnt out. I'm, I'm actually really good at what I do. I can get by on my own. I'm doing okay. Well, here's the problem with that. God has not called you to be good. God has not even called you to be great. God has called you to be anointed. And Isaiah 10, 27 says, It shall come to pass on that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulders and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. The only thing that breaks bondage is anointing. And God hasn't called you to be good, and he's not called you to be great. He's not called you to be talented. He has called you to be anointed. And where there is performance, there's no need for God. And where there's no God, there can be no anointing. And where there is no anointing, there can be no power. God has called you to be anointed. And I don't know what it is specifically that God has called you to do, but I can guarantee you it has something to do with helping others be set free from bondage and connecting them to him. You are called to be anointed in whatever it is that God has asked you to do. Performing will not get you where you want to be. It will only put you where Satan wants you. Throwing in the towel, exhausted out of your mind, because you feel like what God has called you to do is just too much. And so I want to talk about the three areas I see in Scripture that are the problems with performance. The three problems, and I want to offer you solutions. I want to talk about what kills performance. So number one, if you're taking notes, the first problem with performance is the identity problem. The identity problem. Performance promises identity but can never deliver on that promise. How many of us look to what we can do? How many of us think, man, if if I could just get this job... If I could just get this promotion, if I could just have, have this relationship, or if I could just have this kind of marriage, or if I could just have this relationship with my kids, or be this kind of mom, or be this kind of dad to my kids, maybe then I would feel like my life has some kind of significance. Maybe then I'll feel like I have some kind of value I can offer someone. Maybe then I'll begin to realize who I am. But the problem with finding your identity and your performance is your, your life will constantly feel like a roller coaster. 
you will always go up and down and up and down because in one moment you're going to be crushing it. You're going to feel like you're amazing, you're on top of the world because you performed so well, you did something so awesome, and then in a split second you're going to feel like the scum of the earth because you failed so miserably. See, it's impossible to be stable when you don't know who you are. You will always feel unstable in your life when you don't know where your identity comes from. See, our identity was never meant to come from how well we perform because how well we perform changes. Our identity was meant to come from our God who never changes. So when I was preparing for this message, I really felt the Lord put on my heart Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. And we know that Peter followed Jesus and we, he kind of gets this reputation in the Bible for always saying stuff and always doing stuff. And I just got to thinking, I wonder if Peter ever struggled just a little bit with performance. I wonder if he ever felt like, oh, if I just say enough, or if I just do enough for Jesus, maybe then I'll feel like, like I have value, like my life means something. And we know that Peter was called by God. He was actually called by Jesus himself. And it says in Matthew chapter 4, it says, And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. So Jesus calls Peter, and immediately he leaves everything behind to follow Jesus. But I wonder, as he was following Jesus, if he ever felt like, man, I am just way in over my head. Man, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't feel like I'm good enough. I actually feel like I'm maybe the worst possible choice for this. I wonder if he ever felt like, I don't know what Jesus is asking me to do. I don't even know what he's talking about half the time. I wonder if Peter ever felt like, man, Jesus really made a mistake with me. Did he really mean to call me? Did he really mean to put me in this position? See, when we don't know where our identity lies, we will always wonder if one day, Jesus is just going to realize that he made a giant mistake with us. Our identity has to come from God. True identity only comes from God. It can't come from what you do. And Jesus himself knew how crucial this was. It says that right before Jesus went into ministry, he was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And it says that when he came out, the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descended on him. And this is what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 3, 17. It says, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Notice it didn't say, hey, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased because he's going to do a lot of stuff for me. No, God said, this is my son. I am so pleased with him. I love him so much. And he says the same thing about you. He said, you are a son. You are a daughter. I am so pleased with you just the way you are. 
Our identity has to come from being a son and a daughter. It can't come from what we do. And so you might think, okay, well, well, that was Jesus. Of course God did that for Jesus. But I want you to think about this. If Jesus needed to hear God tell him who he was, how much more do we need to hear God tell us who we are? And you might say, well, well, I can't hear God's voice. I have such a hard time hearing God's voice. How am I possibly going to know who I am? Just open this book. Just start reading this book. Open up the Bible. It says so many things about who you are. This is God's letter to you, and he wants you to read it because he wants you to read all the things that he says you are. Start here. And there's another way that we see in Scripture, and he actually does this with Peter. But one of the ways I think that we can start to learn who we are is when we acknowledge who Jesus is. When you find out who God is, it is so much easier to find out who you are. And this is what happens in Matthew chapter 16. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, see, Jesus turned around and began to tell Peter who he was. He said, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You see, when we acknowledge who Jesus is, he cannot help but begin to tell us who we are. He said, who do you say I am? Peter said, you're the son of God. And I believe something happens when we say, Jesus, you're the son of God, you're the Messiah, you're the one that we've all been waiting for, you are the way, the truth, and the life, you are the answer to every single one of our problems. When we begin to tell Jesus that, I believe the heart of God is so stirred on the inside of him and he cannot help but tell us who we are. When you find out who Jesus is, it, begin, it begins to be so much easier to let him tell you who you are. So what kills the identity problem? True identity that comes from God alone. True identity will kill performance. Number two, what is the next problem with performance? The intimacy problem. The intimacy problem. Where there's performance, there's no room for true intimacy. Because when you're performing, you're actually hiding. And you might say, what? doesn't make sense. When you think of performers, you think of them being on stage. You think of them wanting to show people what they can do and, and be really flashy. But in fact, one of the greatest fears for someone who struggles with performance is being seen. Because you're accustomed to being seen for what you do, but you're uncomfortable being seen for who you are. 
Being seen for what you do and being seen intimately for who you are are two very different things. But when it comes to your calling, intimacy is essential because intimacy is required in relationship. And there is no possible way that you are going to fulfill the things that God put you on the earth to do without a close, intimate relationship with him. See, the problem with performing for God is that it is results-based. But results mean nothing to God unless they come from a place of relationship. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, these people said, Jesus, look at everything we've done for you. Jesus, look at what we've done for you. Have we not prophesied? Jesus, we have cast out demons in your name. Jesus, we have done many miracles in your name. And Jesus said, I never knew you. It was never about that. It was never about the results. It was always about the relationship. It was never about what you could do for me. I just wanted to know you. I just wanted to be intimately close to you. See, the problem with performing is that it suffocates intimacy. And we were designed to be intimate with God. So how do we kill the intimacy problem that comes from performance? Well, we choose vulnerability. Vulnerability kills performance. And notice I said you have to choose it. Because if you're like me, vulnerability doesn't really come naturally. You must choose to be vulnerable in your relationships. And you must choose to be vulnerable with God. John chapter 13, Jesus is with his disciples. And Peter's there. And in verse 6, he, Jesus, came to Simon Peter who said to to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't realize what I'm doing now, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. See, Peter was saying, no, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. No, Jesus, you are the son of God. You're the Messiah. You can't do this. This is such a lowly act. Jesus, you can't see my feet, but I want to look at this passage of scripture through a different lens. I want to look at it through the lens of vulnerability. See, what if Peter said, no, Jesus, you you can't wash my feet. You can't even look at my feet. You can't even go near my feet. Jesus, don't you realize my feet are disgusting? My feet are dirty. They are the dirtiest part of me. I cannot let you near them. Jesus, I can't let you see this part of me. And Jesus answers him. He says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. He says, unless you open up to me, I can't have the relationship with you that I so desire. I can't do everything I want to do in and through you. And when Peter realizes this, I love what he does. 
I love what he says. He says, well, Lord, then wash all of me. You can wash me head to toe if that's what it means. And Jesus is probably like, oh, no, uh-uh, no, I didn't mean that. No, no, I'm good. He says, you can wash all of me, Jesus, because if that means I can be intimately close with you, if that means that I get to have this relationship with you, God, I'd give you anything. You can wash any part of me, any disgusting, dirty part of me, if it means that I get you. Vulnerability kills performance. Number three, the third problem with performance is the shame problem. The shame problem. Shame is one of the ugliest, most unfair tactics that the enemy uses, but it is one of the most effective. See, shame always follows performance because at some point, we're going to realize that our efforts were never enough. At some point, we're going to fail. And when we do, we're going to think, man, I should be so much better. I should know so much better. I should be way more capable at this stage of my life. I shouldn't be dealing with this anymore. How, how long have I dealt with this one sin? I just can't conquer it. At this stage in my relationship with Jesus, I've been walking with Jesus for so long. Why am I still dealing with this? And see, whenever we fail, the enemy is just waiting. He is crouching at the door, just waiting for that moment because he desires so much to throw every ounce of shame that he can onto us. See, shame is a brilliant tactic because if the devil can get us to feel shame, oftentimes we become the ones that end up taking ourselves out of what God has for us. We become the ones because we just think, I messed up so big. God, you can't use me. Look at what I've done. There's no way you're still calling me Jesus. See, the enemy's main desire is to never make you forget your sin. He wants to replay it over and over and over again because he wants to steal, kill, and destroy every aspect of your life. And so he's never going to let you forget it. And every morning and every night, he's going to be there and he's going to constantly tell you everything that you've done. And see, we weren't designed to carry the weight of sin, but he's going to keep throwing it on us and throwing it on us and throwing it on us. And when we feel like we're about to break, he's just going to come in and he's going to put more and more and more, as much shame on us as he can. See, his desire is to crush us. Psalm 23, verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. God has a table for you in the presence of your enemies. But shame comes in to constantly remind you of every reason you should not be in the seat God has reserved for you at his table. Now here's the truth. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us do. So what do we do? What do we do if we all fall short? Well, the first thing that we need to do is accept the fact that sometimes we fail. 
Sometimes we fail, and it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So what do we do? What do we do when we fail? We can use failure as an opportunity to break off performance in our lives. In Luke chapter 22, we we find what I believe is one of the most relatable passages in Scripture when it comes to Peter. And Jesus has just told Peter, he said, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. You're going to deny that you ever even knew me. And Peter gets so worked up. He says, no, Jesus. No. Jesus, I'd never do that. Jesus, I would rather die with you than deny you. See, Peter was banking on a performance that he couldn't deliver on. And in verse 54, it says, Then they seized him, Jesus, and they led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtroom and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too was a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and he looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. The Bible says that Peter wept bitterly. See, a moment like this is going to come for every single one of us when we're going to say, how could I have done this? How could I have done this? At this point in my life, at this point when I've been walking with Jesus, how could I have done this? And so we have a choice. When we mess up, we have two options. We can either let shame destroy us Or we can let grace revive us. What else kills performance? The grace of God that we have never deserved. The grace of God kills performance. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And we know that after Peter denies Jesus, Jesus goes to the cross. When Jesus dies a sinner's death, Jesus dies the death that Peter deserved. And I can't imagine what Peter was feeling for those three days. I can't imagine the shame that the enemy was trying to pile on top of him. But we also know that it wasn't the end. We know that three days later, Jesus beat the grave, and Jesus rose from the grave with all power and all authority and all victory over sin, over death, over shame, over performance, over every single thing that the enemy is going to try to use against you in your life. Jesus beat it. 
And I love this part in Mark chapter 16. All the women come to see Jesus in the tomb. It says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go. Go tell his disciples. And go tell Peter. Go tell Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. See, I love that God made sure that this message was relayed to Peter. Hey, I want to see all my disciples. But Peter, I want to see you. I don't care that you messed up. I want to see you because I love you. And what you did does not count you out of what I have called you to do. I want to see you. I want to make things right. And so Jesus is with his disciples on the shore, and they're eating breakfast. And John 21 says, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Peter thought, Jesus, you know everything about me. Jesus, you know everything there is to know about me. You know that I love you. You have to know that I love you. He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. See, Jesus was still calling Peter. And Peter, from that moment on, began to again walk out the calling of God on his life. And he walked out the purpose that God made him for and intended him for. And every single thing that Jesus said about him still was true. Jesus said, Peter, you're a rock. That's what your name means. You're a rock, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and not even the gates of hell will be able to prevail against it. Peter walked out the call of God on his life. Peter knew his identity. Peter knew that he had to be vulnerable. He knew he had to be intimate with Jesus, and he let the grace of God come into his life. See, performance says, look at all I can do. But the goal, at the end of my life, I just want to say, look at all that Jesus has done through me. So about a year and a half ago, I began to walk this road with God when it came to performance. And it was actually, it came to a head when I was in a meeting with Pastor Preston. So he had asked all of the staff to put together our seven-day survival guide. And I know we did this as a church, but basically you just put together what you need in seven days and all of these aspects of your life, so physical, 
physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, what you need to thrive. And so I put together my list, and it was really long. It was the longest list. I was really proud of it. And so I walk into his office, really proud of my list, and he sits down with me, and we start going through it. We start going through physical, emotional, and we get through about two of them. And he just stops me and he says, Allie, this list is exhausting. I am exhausted reading this list. I'm exhausted for you. And for somebody who deals with performance, you feel like you have to do things to be valuable, I can crush you, especially when it comes from somebody you love and you admire and you respect. And so I was like, what do you mean? These are all the things that I have to do in seven days to feel like I'm in a good place. He said, this is exhausting. God's not asking you to do these things. And so I took it to the Lord and I said, God, what is this? What is this need to, to do all these things for you? And he started to speak to me about performance. And one night, God said something to me that changed my life. It set me free in so many ways. And one night, God just said, Allison, do you believe that I love you? I said, yeah. God, I know you love me. He said, then why do you feel like the only way that I'm going to give you a good gift in your life and the only way that I'm gonna do in you what I want to do through you, why do you feel like the only way that's gonna happen is if you do things for me? And I said, I don't know. I don't know why I feel this way. I don't know where this started. And he said, do you realize if you never did anything else for me as long as you live, I would feel the exact same way about you. I am crazy about you. I love you. You don't have to do things for me. I just want you to do them with me. And I believe that is the invitation that God has for you today. He's inviting you to do things with him, not for him. You don't have to perform. You don't have to do all the time. God just wants to do them with you. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.